Hello, everyone. You're listening to Finding Japan, episode 40. I'm unprepared, but we're going to do this anyway. Let's go. It's episode 40 already. It's almost hard to believe. It seems like only a few days ago this podcast was started, but that certainly isn't the case. And I know you, a lot of you have been listening to this podcast for quite a while. And again, I thank you for listening, and I hope you find each and every episode more enjoyable than the next. And if that's not true, sorry. <laughs> There's nothing, nothing I can really do about that. Oh, it feels so good to have my computer back in action. The last podcast outlined my adventure going to Akiba, but what it didn't outline is actually what happened when I got there. So maybe I should talk about that for a little bit. I also want to bring you guys some audio I recorded from the sumo wrestling tournament that I went to a week ago down in Ryokoku. That week ago, maybe two weeks ago by the time this podcast gets out. Um, But suffice it to say, it doesn't come to Tokyo that often, I think maybe four or five times a year.、Um, so I was able to see one of the tournaments, and it was quite an adventure. And I'll, I'll bring some of those clips to you guys. And in addition,、um, I have an oldie but goodie audio clip. So we have lots of audio clips to go through and a lot of material to cover. So why don't we just get started? <laughs> I think the,、uh, the bumper music here is starting to make the podcast seem way too consistent. I hope it doesn't start feeling like home for some of you guys. It certainly is feeling that way here. Anyway,、um, yeah, what happened the other day? I came home from school and I found that、uh, my laptop cord had a weird bite in it, or it looked, it looked like something strange. And you, you'll see this on the website if you go to findingjapan.com. I'll, I'll put a picture at the top for the post here. I'll have to remind myself to do that. But yeah, it, there was this really strange sort of cut with a little bit of burn around it. And, and in my crazy mind, I imagined that some sort of giant Japanese bug was chewing on it and got electrocuted, but I wasn't able to find any bug parts, unfortunately. So I thought it kind of strange. So I went down to Akiba, and that was、uh, Finding Japan episode 39. But when I arrived in Akiba, I found out that they didn't have any left. And this was at the Yodabashi camera, my first destination for electronics. Since they give me such a great deal on those points, it's almost like magic. Every time I go, I have points that I can use. I bought a USB、uh, analog controller for emulating games like on MAME and things like that. And、uh, I got it free because I had spent so much there before, and it was all from my purchase of the Ederall R9. Device that gave me all the points. And that controller was somewhere around 1200 yen, 1500 yen. So it really does pay off to be、uh, a conscientious shopper and loyal to some of these stores. So Yodobashi camera, the point card, I love it all the way. However, they did not have the MacBook Pro 15 inch magnetic adapter, which is what I needed. Now, the piece of the cord that broke is not the replaceable piece that can come off and It's not the part between the brick and the power outlet. It's the part between the brick and the connection to the computer. So, unfortunately, it's not an easy thing to replace. 
So my next stop was to go directly to the Apple Store in Ginza. And when I went there, I found out they also did not have the power cord that I needed. So I tried one more time desperately and took the walk from Ginza to Yurakucho to go to Bikku Kamira. And unfortunately, uh, they also didn't have it. So I was feeling a little down and out because I really wanted to get episode 39 out. And today is actually Thursday night and episode 39 is still not out, but it will go out shortly after this podcast. I'm going in a little bit of uh, indirect order here, but I remembered, thankfully, um, my mother, of all people, had reminded me that uh, a lot of that stuff is covered under Apple Care, and I've always been a big proponent of having my parents get Apple Care for any of their Apple products. And I printed out my Apple Care form at work that had my number on it. You can get that if you do have Apple Care, you can get that directly from Apple's website. And I went back to the Apple Store just thinking that they would be able to repair it and maybe give me a new one later. Scott Lockman from Tokyo Call graciously offered uh, his extra one for me, and I was about to meet up with him. But I was, but what I was unprepared for is they actually had a these um, replacement parts, and apparently the replacement parts are separate and distinct from the parts that you can buy. So after going in there with my Apple Care agreement and showing them, and then getting the serial number to my laptop through the computer. They were able to hand me just a brand new one right then and there. That just goes to show how good the service is. Now, I doubt that any other international company, especially in consumer electronics, would have that sort of immediate repair um, through a global operation. I wholly expected them to say, yes, we can repair it, but we're going to have to send it away or send it to the U.S. and we'll get it back to you. So... I had completely mentally prepared myself for that. What I didn't prepare myself for was them to just respond so immediately. So thank you, Apple, and thank you, Scott Lockman, for hooking me up with the uh, the spare one. In the meantime, unfortunately, I didn't need it. I have the brand new cord, and I'm good to go, and I can get these podcasts done and get them edited before next week of hell back in classes begins. We're going to do a little bit of interaction here. I have Twitter up, and I usually don't have these sort of instant messaging applications on while I'm doing a podcast here, but uh, I'm going to send out a message here. I just saw San send something out um, to Ma Fuchan. Quiet all. I'm trying to record a podcast right now. Let's see if we get some little interactions here. Anyway, um, I did want to talk about... Uh, a few things. One is I wanted to talk about uh, podcasting. Not podcasting. What am I talking about? I can't even keep my own thoughts straight. I wanted to talk about homelessness, believe it or not. Homelessness in Japan. Um, I, I've mentioned this story quite a few times about the guy who lives under the bridge on, on my way here, or between the train station and my house, I should say. I can't even keep my own thoughts straight. I apologize, everybody. Um, and this guy is just so amazing, and it hit me again when I was walking home today uh, after meeting up with Scott, and I just gave him a quick bow, and he gave me a quick head nod. It's just incredible that this man can live under a bridge. He's got a recycling business, and he's got a dog-washing business, and he just seems so content. He never looks angry. 
Alex and I were walking somewhere the other day, and he, we actually saw him weeding the bushes around the concrete enclosure that he sort of like lives in. I found that incredible. So not only is this guy sort of taking up a little bit of public space, but he's also doing some good by recycling, providing some services to the people, and cleaning up his area, which is obviously state-owned or city-owned, without being asked to. And I thought just sort of the relationship that this guy has with the police in the city is absolutely incredible. And it's kind of amazing that when they're – Ever, If ever there is a public event in that area, such as the Sumida River fireworks that occurred while I was on vacation, he completely packs up everything. And, and he has a lot of stuff. He's got a small, maybe, I want to say two meter by three meter shack. With He's got a lot of wagons, a lot of materials, including a TV and a heater. Um, I think there's a small shrine there too, but I don't think he owns that. All sorts of stuff for the animals, like different cages, um, all the bags of food, all sorts of stuff. And it's, I just find it incredible that this guy can up and move and sort of get out of the way while these public events occur and then just go back and not be bothered. It's it's such an incredible relationship between the way this guy lives, the situation he's, that he's in, and the tolerance of the area and people around him in order to accommodate him. So it's, it's kind of heartwarming, too, to see that happen. Um, another funny sort of homeless story that I came across the other day is I was I had I have these Shure headphones that totally go right in your ear, so it blocks out a lot of the sound. And I don't do that necessarily to block out the sound of people around me, but the subways truly are so loud sometimes that you would have to blast your headphones to hear anything, and that that's not really good for your hearing. So I'd rather sort of block out the outside sound and keep keep my hearing intact. And I had those in, and I was about to cross the street, and a gentleman comes up to me and looks at me, and he just says, hungry, hungry. And I thought for a second, at first I didn't understand what he he was saying because he had some sort of like Japanese accent. But then I was stunned because I didn't expect someone to come up to me so directly and ask, ask me for something. It's not something that you expect in Japan. And I quite didn't know what to say. So I said something to the effect of, I use my Pasmo card, so I don't have any money. Which, in truth, was was not quite true. I, I do have money, but I just I didn't I didn't know what what to do. I in, if this had happened in the U.S., I, I would offer to get the guy some food instead if he was hungry, and I, I have done that in the past. I, I'm not one to give someone money directly unless it's managed, and I know it's going to go to a good cause. I'm not talking about the United Way per se, but. You know, uh, I'm donating to Doctors Without Borders and things like that. But in this case, I didn't think he would quite appreciate my offer to walk him over to the McDonald's and get him something to eat. And he didn't seem like the type of person who was really willing to communicate with me on that issue. So I kind of let it go. But that was somewhat interesting, seeing that uh, I hadn't really experienced that before. And you don't see very many homeless people. And the ones that you do see seem to be quite well off. So that was a little strange. There's also a lot of talk about um, a different type of homeless people. And these are the working homeless, people who don't make quite enough money to own a house or pay for an apartment, but do have regular jobs. And the amazing thing is these people can actually live in internet cafes. And there's quite a phenomenon of these young people 
and even older people, maybe up into their 50s, living in Internet cafes. Most Internet cafes offer a fairly cheap hourly rate or a fairly cheap uh, overnight rate. And seeing that you can get food and pretty much all you can drink, and some of these Internet cafes actually have showers, it is quite a compelling alternative to sleeping on the streets. And I wanted to actually do an overnight experience of sleeping in an internet cafe and maybe once uh, work and school are over with, I'll, I'll, I'll try that just, just so I can say I've had the experience. But definitely makes you think about whether or not you truly need a home, and especially if you have that Japanese work ethic and you're constantly going back and forth from work. If you live, say, with your parents, like some older Japanese people do, and you do come into the city five days a week, it may make sense to sleep at an internet cafe four nights a week and then just go home for the weekend. So there you go. Those are the three things that I've noticed about homeless people. And I don't know. What else can we say? Let's go and just completely switch gears here. I feel like I'm talking really fast. I think I'm going to slow it down a little bit. Let's do... And only in Japan. Alright, this only in Japan is about vending machines. Now, I'm used to seeing vending machines that have so many different uses. Of course, you can buy toys in vending machines, you can buy coffee in vending machines, you can buy snacks in vending machines, but the one thing I did not expect to see in a vending machine is an umbrella. Now, there's actually two quite interesting vending machines that are side-by-side. If you go to Asakusa Station, no, not Asakusa, it's Akihabara Station, and the Sobu line, not the Yamanote line, the Chuo Sobu line, and you take that towards Chiba, at the end of that platform right there, you'll see two vending machines. One sells bread in a can, and the other sells umbrellas. I just found this completely fascinating. Now, I have been caught in the rain quite a few times and have had to buy the 300 yen or 200 yen umbrella, which works for a whole, I don't know, maybe two weeks before it just rusts apart. But... I mean, if you're caught in a bind, you know, getting an umbrella is something that you can probably do without, but you'd rather not. So spending an extra 200 yen or 300 yen on an umbrella is just completely reasonable. But the fact that it's so convenient, you can put that in a vending machine, it's just incredible. Now, I'm pretty sure that the way they sell these umbrellas is they're stacked up um, uh, horizontally so that you are able to to just sort of have the umbrella pop out. And based on the way it, it the little trough at the bottom is, is shaped, it, it kind of makes sense. But ironically, on the front of the machine, the umbrellas are standing straight up. So it, it's, it really kind of makes you wonder, well, how did these umbrellas come out? Oh, I really like this song. Maybe I should just let this song go. This is... um. This, this song here is called On Target, and it's by an artist called Null Sleep. Um, if you liked some of the glitchy sort of computer music that I had featured a few podcasts ago, 
go check it out. I'll I'll try to put a link on the show notes if I remember. But um, his stuff is released as um, Creative Commons, and I, he also gave me permission to use one of the other tracks in um, the bicycle episode. So I'm sure he won't mind if I if I use this track. But definitely check out Null Sleep. This is on target. So there you go. Uh, that is the vending machine from uh, Yakihabara Station that vends umbrellas. Okay. I had decided that one of the things I needed to do while I was in Japan is to go to a sumo wrestling match. Now, there's plenty of resources on the internet where you can get more information about the ins and outs of sumo wrestling. And some of the actual uh, interesting rules behind sumo wrestling. But I'm going to approach this topic from a different angle. I'm, I'm going to, oh, how should I say, I'm going to tell you what I found to be completely different about sumo wrestling, what I liked about sumo wrestling, and what I, what I really didn't expect. The first thing I didn't know is that sumo matches actually occur on average, I think about every... I want to say every eight weeks. Usually each tournament is two weeks long, and there's a six-week break between each tournament. Um, The tournaments occur in different locations, and I believe there's also a traveling tournament that goes around. There are different levels to sumo. So there's the yokozuna, which is the top level, the the top guy. And then there's a a high level, and the high-level guys are the ones who actually wear the aprons. And I got some pictures of a guy who had an apron on who that actually lit up. It had LEDs, and it was pretty cool. I I definitely realized that sumo is pretty traditional, but what I didn't know is that that center area, the ring, initially didn't exist. Sumo used to be done in in the uh, temples and shrines as a as a religious ritual, and eventually the ring was introduced to sort of make it more interesting. The ring is also raised, and that area is not. Um, allowed to be stepped on by women. It's considered sacred ground, and women are not allowed on this. And that's been a common theme in a lot of things I've noticed about Japanese traditions. I remember for a while, women were not allowed to climb Mount Fuji for the very same reason. It was considered sacred ground. Now, there was actually an event, um, I think it was during this sumo tournament, and and from the news article I read, It said it was on Thursday, but I think it was because of the time zone difference. It actually occurred on a Friday in Japan. But a woman in the last tournament just ran up into the uh, ring and had to be pulled off by the referees. And uh, it really disturbed a lot of sumo wrestlers and the referees from what the article had said. So that, that just gives you some idea of how seriously they take this. I also believe there was an official... A woman government official from, it, I want to say Osaka, I could be wrong, who was to present the trophy to the winner of that tournament, but she couldn't because she was a woman, even though she was the right official and held the right official rank in order to do that, she was not allowed to. So she had to give it to one of her immediate male subordinates, and he had to carry out the ritual of giving the winning wrestler his his trophy. So that was something I didn't expect and was educated on. Also, I didn't realize that the um, 
hairstyles are traditional for all sumo wrestlers. And not only traditional for all sumo wrestlers, but they vary by rank. There's a certain type of knot that you have on the top of your head that you can only have when you reach a certain rank. It was actually kind of interesting to see some of the foreign sumo wrestlers have this um, knot in their head done. And some of them were actually losing some of their hair, so they sort of had it more towards the back. These guys are, are quite big, too. These are, these are some big boys. But what I had learned as well is that many of these sumo wrestlers, after they're done with their career and they stop eating all the time in order to keep their weight up, they end up actually losing quite a bit of weight and end up slimming down. I don't think they end up quite as slim as the guy who runs the uh, sumo food restaurant around the corner from me, um, but it, they definitely do slim down quite a bit. Um, this tournament takes place over the course of about two weeks, and there are many bouts um, each day. The bouts begin around 9 a.m., but truthfully, the interesting bouts of the um Yokozuna and highest rank sumo wrestlers does not occur until somewhere around 4 p.m. and goes for about two hours. So that's about that's what I got to see was really that tail end. Um, what else? The other thing I didn't realize is that there's a series of rituals, obviously of throwing the salt, but these rituals occur within um, three. These ritual ritual occurs three times, I should say. As the wrestlers enter the ring, they meet and they get ready to wrestle, but then they stop and they go to their respective corners again and and purify themselves and stomp and do all that other stuff. Now, what really sort of draws this out is the the first time I was sitting there getting ready to watch the match, I had my camera ready. And and in the clip, you'll actually hear me take some pictures as well. But I had my camera ready and I was taking pictures. And I was wondering why they kept stopping. It was like a constant warm-up. And I realized the key is to look for them to go for the towel. Once they grab the towel, you know that that's going to be the next match. But this whole thing is so ritualized that the sumo wrestlers time their movements with each other. So they will both leave the ring at the same time. They will both grab salt at the same time. And then they will both re-enter the ring at the same time. So even though each wrestler may be doing their own little activity, they do so in a sort of organized sequence and dance. Having not expected this, I realize there's a really cool byproduct of this whole ritualization. Each match lasts maybe about 10 minutes because of, or no, I should say maybe more like five or six minutes because of this ritual. This ritual takes approximately four minutes per match. But because of that, the intensity and the power of the actual act of wrestling becomes really apparent. Because there's this, these, these graceful moves and the throwing of the salt and the quiet, the wrestling action itself is such a release. And that, comp- that comparison, that dichotomy of this quiet, peaceful, really kind of graceful movement completely you know, met by this release of power and nearly like smashing of skulls is just totally incredible. So it really makes the matches kind of exciting. And in this next clip, you will hear um, myself and my coworkers sort of talk about the match while that release is going. And then the first round of clapping that you hear is not the end of the match. That first round of clapping is when the wrestlers are leaving the ring for the final time to go get their towels and do their real final warm-up before they go ahead and get going there. So 
Without any further ado, here's some audio from the sumo wrestling match from last week. sumo wrestling for you it's really kind of interesting to see like how excited they get and how the whole crowd reacts at the same time it, it, it's so much fun and if you are in japan or if you're planning a trip to japan definitely check out some of the websites that keep track of the sumo matches to find out if a sumo event will be occurring in the area you'll go to and if you can modify your plans to go 
definitely, definitely try to do it. Okay, uh, I have one more thing to share. sending out another Twitter right now. I think everybody took me so seriously last time. I said, quiet all, I'm trying to record a podcast right now. And no one from the usual suspects responded with any sort of sarcasm, which was my assumption. But alas, they'll get a chuckle, I'm sure, when they're listening to this podcast. You you all know who you are. Okay. The last thing I wanted to share, this, this goes all the way back to May. Oh, I am so behind on some of this audio, but the good part is, is it will make a lot of these uh, future episodes all that more interesting. I was walking through Asakusa, maybe, mm, I, I think it was during the episode where I was searching for a coffee place from, from a listener, and I had actually mistaken um, Asakusa for Akasaka, which I think is something that could very easily be done, um, especially only being in Japan for a few months. So, that being said, I ran across just an interesting phenomenon. Now, I've seen people, volunteers, I should say, g- sweep through a park and try and clean it up. But what I hadn't seen is a group of elderly people acting like a zombie mob, specifically picking up only cigarette butts, while led by a very, very genki young person. You have to hear this clip. It's absolutely hilarious. Listen very carefully. I haven't been able to to do any of the translations yet to figure out what they were saying exactly. But just listen to the call and response of the uh, old people cleaning crew zombie mob. That's uh, a uh, gaggle of elderly people who are walking around picking up uh, cigarette butts, and they're all wearing uh, the same type of shirt. And uh, I kind of like the cigarette cleaning mob, zombie mob. <laughs> I, I did not plan on taking out the recorder to record any of that, but the funny part was uh, I couldn't resist. It just sounded so funny with everybody sitting there saying the same thing over and over again. So I think that's one of the things I love about Japan. I'm still looking for this coffee shop, but man, I, you know, you can just see. Yeah, and I just went on to talk about some other stuff um, that 
I think was included in one of the other podcasts that that coffee cast specifically. But um, yeah, that that was interesting, and I, I figured you all would get somewhat of a kick out of that piece of audio. So we're coming up on a little over a half hour right now. I think I'm going to cut it here and make sure I can get these two podcasts prepped and ready to go. Thanks for listening, and I hope you all listen to the next 40 podcasts. That would be absolutely incredible if we were able to get to 40 podcasts. Thanks for listening. Talk to you all soon.